Good morning. Welcome to Bethel Mennonite Church. Uh, we are very happy to have you here. If you are willing and able, would you please stand? We're going to do an uh, opening song here. like to welcome and thank you for being here at Bethel this morning. We're excited to see you. Just a few announcements we want to highlight to start off. First thing we want to do is we want to invite you to stay today as we're having a pastor appreciation lunch afterwards. Uh, we just want to thank you from all the pastors for the, the love and admiration that we have received over the number of years that we've been here. It's been a great been great working here, and I know I can say that for all three of us. But along with appreciation, we do also like to thank everybody who was here yesterday as we had a 
good crew here for our annual cleaning day. We got a lot of stuff done outside, inside, the all the windows done, everything like that. So we're just excited. It's really nice to get the one day where we get a good clean in. So we just want to thank you for everybody that was here. Also like to invite you to our Youth Fall Festival, November 7th. So the forms were in your bulletins last week that you could fill out. We do have some at the Welcome Center now as well. If you could, if you're going to plan on coming, you could go grab one of those. Just rip off the bottom of it. It says whether you want ribs or chicken and how many. We really encourage you that this is a time to invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite people. I know we already have over 30 people coming from Day for Hope, the one day that we helped uh, some underprivileged families, that they're going to be there as well. And we've got bounce houses coming, we've got cotton candy, we've got just a whole bunch of kids' games, and all of the funds that we receive from that go towards our mission trip this year that we're going to be taking this summer. So we'd really like you to not only come, but also to bring people with you. It's, it's a lot more fun when we have people that we don't know who they are, and it's just a good opportunity for them to see our church. If you have any questions, you can come talk to me afterwards about that. Also want to let you know, so this morning is our last Sunday in Ephesians. I think it took us a year, is that what it was? Something like that, to get through Ephesians. And so uh, we're excited that it's our last week, not because we're ready to move on or anything like that. Maybe some of you are, but we're happy. We just, first of all, wanted to start off by asking you if there's anything as we finish up this series, if there's anything that encouraged you, if there's anything that you took away from the service, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact the church office. You can email me. You can email Sean. We just, we'd love to know how it's made a difference in your lives, how it's touched you and how we've moved, helped move you. So with that, we're actually going to be starting another sermon series, which Sean actually taught the middle school this, so can any of the middle schoolers tell me what we're going to be doing next? He wanted me to ask out. Jonah, yes. Good, so you learned something, right? Um, So we've actually got a short video that's going to take us, or it's going to explain a little bit about our next series. So I am excited to be preaching through the book of Jonah next. And so next Sunday, when you come back, the middle schoolers didn't know it, that they were getting a preview of the next sermon series until the very end, until we had finished. And I said, guess what? You guys have to keep this a secret uh, for a few Sundays until we announce it to the church. So I'm glad that some of them remembered uh, what it was. I'm going to ask our membership candidates to come on up here with me. Uh, We get to do a membership service this morning. And I'm always excited uh, to do these kinds of services because we do place uh, high emphasis here at Bethel on membership. Uh, We believe that it's 
a biblical practice uh, to have church membership and all that that entails. And so we go through a class with these folks and kind of go through what membership means, uh, what Bethel is about. And these three have chosen to uh, follow all the way through that process and have wanted to become members here at Bethel this morning. So let me introduce them to you if you don't know these uh, three folks. Uh, This is Dax Hosteller. Next to him is Carl Candle. And then Clara Raber is uh, down here as well. So uh, those three are with me. We have one person that's in a baptism class, and that'll be coming a little bit later. Uh, But these three have been previously baptized, and so they're just moving their membership now uh, to Bethel to be uh, part of us. So I'm going to ask them some questions, and then I'm going to ask you a question uh, as you are the, the body that actually brings them into membership here at Bethel. So to the three of you. Do you have the witness of God in your heart that you have been made a partaker of salvation in Jesus Christ through the grace of the Holy Spirit by repentance and faith? And are you able to confess that you are one with us in doctrine and practice as the word of God is interpreted by the church and that you are endeavoring by the grace of God so to live from this time onward? And to you as a congregation, uh, you've heard now the confession and the promise of these candidates. And so upon the recommendation of our elder board, are you willing to receive them into the fellowship of this congregation? And do you promise by the grace of God to receive them in love, to encourage them in the Christian life, to give them faithful counsel, and to be true to them in prayer? If you are a member here this morning and you are affirming that for them, would you stand to your feet and and show that or raise your hand if you're unable to stand? Just stay standing for a moment. I want to pray for these uh, three candidates. And sometimes I don't always do this, but I like to do this uh, for the three of you. As you kind of look out, uh, this is your new family. Okay, so spiritually, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so these are now your brothers and sister in Christ as well. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the sermon, what that means. But welcome. We're glad that you're here. Let me pray for them, uh, and then we'll sing together again. Father God, I just thank you again for the privilege of being able to be here and minister in this church And what a blessing it is that you continue to bring faithful men and women uh, to us uh, to join here and to carry on the work that was started way before us, uh, work that we're just simply carrying on to the next generation and long after us, uh, the church will continue. And so while it isn't uh, dependent upon us, you certainly have called us to contribute our gifts and our talents to the church. And so I pray for these three as they contribute the gifts that you've given them here at Bethel. I pray that they would be a great blessing to us. And in return, uh, we could be a blessing to them as we come alongside and encourage and love and train and disciple. And that together uh, we would go out and make an impact on Sarasota in, in on our world. And so thank you again for these three. I pray your blessings on Dax, uh, Carl, and Clara, each one. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Stay standing while we sing. God bless you. We'll catch you at lunch.
Yeah. 
thank you for your love uh, toward us. Thank you for your kindness uh, toward us. You are beautiful. Your face is all we seek. And this morning as we dive into the end of your letter to the Ephesians and to us, I pray that you would help us to, again, remember our first love, this love that's due to you and this love that's incorruptible, uh, but a love that can be pushed aside and can often be forgotten. And so I pray this morning that you would set a fire in our heart, help us to once again love you with a passion that burns strong, a zeal that's there, uh, that desires for others to see you and for others to know you and have a relationship with you. I pray and ask your blessing now on the time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the very end of Ephesians chapter 6, the very end of this book. Uh, in my Bible, right above the verses we're going to be reading, it says, Final Greetings. If you have in front of you your bulletin or the message notes, uh, you're going to notice that I've titled today's sermon, How to Kill a Church. And as shocking as that might sound, I think that we can find some principles here at the very end of the book of Ephesians that really should give us pause as a church. A pause long enough to at least say, well, I don't want to kill a church, uh, so what am I supposed to do, right? Uh, what does that look like? And let me just say from the beginning, I don't think any Christian, uh, any authentic Christian sets out to intentionally kill a church. But there are certain characteristics and certain tendencies that can creep into the life of a believer and into the life of a church that can lead to the result of a church dying. And so it's those characteristics and, and those tendencies that I want us to pick up on this morning so that we as church leaders and we as church members uh, find that we don't go down a dying path, uh, but we stay on a path that's true and right and living. So let me read our text for this morning, and then we'll examine these things together. So Ephesians 6, I'm going to start at verse 21 and read down through the end of the ch uh, chapter. Paul writes this, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. End of the book. Now, as you were following along as I read that, uh, maybe you said to yourself, well, I didn't see a single thing in there about killing a church. And, and you shouldn't have. God wouldn't write words to us uh, about how to, to do such a thing. Uh, he, he wouldn't give us those kinds of instructions. But it's our neglect of what he tells us to do uh, that leads or could lead uh, to the death of a church. Here's some things that I think are important for us to remember as we come to the end of this book of Ephesians. 
Uh, Ephesians was written uh, somewhere around AD 60 to 62. This was a church that Paul had established on his third missionary journey somewhere in the 50s, okay? So uh, he had gone to this area. When he established the church in Ephesus, he spent about three years there with the people. It was the longest he spent with any church uh, that, he, that he began. He taught publicly while he was there. He taught uh, from house to house. He really invested in this church. So he started the church in the 50s, and this is about 10 years later, He's writing this letter now to the believers of that same church, reminding them of what he taught them prior to his imprisonment. In addition to this letter that he's written directly to them, he's also written two letters to Timothy, who was appointed to go to Ephesus and to establish leadership at Ephesus and and provide pastoral oversight at Ephesus. So not only has he written directly to them, he's written to his young protege, Timothy, who has gone to this church with Paul's instructions. Okay, So we get this rare privilege in Scripture of seeing a church being established, and then we get to peer into the church 10 years later and see kind of what's happening as Paul writes this letter to the church. We get to see where they're doing well or maybe where they're struggling a bit. What are the issues that have popped up over this 10-year period? But what's really neat about the church at Ephesus is that 30 years after this letter, we get to peer inside the walls of this church again because it's 30 years later that Jesus speaks directly to this church through John uh, in the book of Revelation. So if you will keep your finger here in Ephesus, uh, I want you to turn all the way to the end of your Bible uh, to Revelation, the very last book, in the second chapter, Revelation chapter 2. Here we get to see 30 years post-Ephesians letter, what does Jesus have now to say about this church that was established back in the 50s? I want you to follow along. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 7. Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. By the time Revelation 2 is written, Jesus is probably speaking to second or maybe even third generation believers. Okay, so from the book of Ephesians that we see, probably still first generation believers to the book of Revelation, second or third generation believers, something has changed. Something has changed from when Paul established it and then wrote the letter to when Jesus comes back and addresses them again. It's that change that I want us to see and to understand so that that change doesn't happen to us, okay? So let's figure this thing out so we don't make the same mistakes, okay? So how to kill a church. Go back to uh, the book of Ephesians. You had your finger there. Flip back. How to kill a church. Bullet point number one. If you want to kill a church, don't prize others, Okay, look again at verses 21 and 22. Look how Paul speaks to this church. He says, again, let me read, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, he will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Remember, Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter of Ephesians. Very likely, he's chained to a Roman guard. Uh, We talked about that the last time we were together. And no doubt, the news of his imprisonment in Rome has made its way back to the city of Ephesus and has discouraged the the believers there. It, it, It saddened them. Remember, they were once pagans. They were unbelievers. And this Paul was the one who came to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believed in this wonderful grace and love of Jesus and they were all excited and now they find out that their human hero of the faith, this apostle Paul, is in chains. He's bound up in Rome. He's been arrested. And to them, that would feel like a setback. It would be a source of discouragement. That would have been a bit frightening for them. To a a much smaller degree, um, I suppose it would be similar if some of you found out that I was arrested uh, for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you would be happy about that. I don't know, but uh, you'd be saddened by the fact that I was arrested. And and that that would sadden you or discourage you because if I were arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it begs the question, when are the authorities coming for you, Right? And so as they hear about Paul sitting in prison, uh, it's a bit discouraging. It's, it's a bit dis- disconcerting because they don't know, am I next? When are they coming for me? And they love this guy. They, they love this man, Paul. Like I said, he had invested so much in them. He had taught them. He had trained them. He had discipled them. He had loved them. In fact, when, when he left Ephesus 10 years prior to writing this letter, in Acts 20, we have this 
picture of him leaving. And he tells them, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He admonished them. He had to correct them. He had to train them. But it was with tears. It was with this sincere, passionate love. In fact, after he said that verse and he got ready to get on a ship and depart from them, Acts 20 says that they wept and they hugged him and they kissed him. They so loved Paul. Why? Because he passionately cared for them. He prized these people. So much so that now, 10 years later, when he hears that they are discouraged about the fact that he's in prison, it just bothers him so tremendously that he writes in this letter and he sends this guy named Tychicus, it's one of his faithful companions in the ministry, he sends Tychicus to them to do what? What does the verse say? To tell you everything and to encourage your hearts. Paul prized them to the point that he wanted to encourage them even while he himself was sitting in prison. Listen, within the church, we are called to prize one another. We are called to genuinely and passionately care about each other. Like I said earlier in our membership service, we're not just random strangers that pop in here off the streets once a week to sing together and study and to go home. No, we're family. We're we're brothers and sisters. God brings us together in a familial way. That's why he uses that metaphor of the family of God. And, and, And we love each other like brothers and sisters. Well, there are times when we squabble and we disagree, but it happens in a family. But families don't disown each other when that happens. What do they do? They work at reconciliation. They confess their sins. They forgive one another. And they come back together in unity. Why? Because God joined us together, he says in Ephesians 4, in unity of the Spirit. And so we prize one another. We value one another. That lives itself out in very practical ways. In Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what it looks like. It also looks like this from Ephesians 4.29. As brothers and sisters, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that, uh, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. As brothers and sisters, it also looks like this in Ephesians 5. It says, we address one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. These are all expressions of our affection toward one another. We value each other. We honor each other. Listen, if you want to kill a church, then stop doing those things. Stop prizing each other. Instead, if you want to kill a church, just be proud. Fight with each other. Talk trash about each other. Stop singing 
and start fighting. If you want to cause a church to wither and die, then start bickering and infighting. Start attacking those within. Become so inwardly focused that all you see are your brothers and sisters' warts, and when you see them, you attack them with vengeance. If you want to kill a church, stop prizing each other. How did the Ephesians do in this category? Well, back in that Revelation 2 passage, Jesus said, I know your works, your toil, and your, your patient endurance. I think they did okay with this one, actually. I, I do think that they, they loved each other. Uh, this doesn't seem to be a major problem. Uh, they're doing the works. It, it says that they're toiling together. Remember, Jesus is addressing a church. They're they're toiling together. Uh, Revelation, Jesus says they are patiently enduring with one another. That was verse 3. You're patiently enduring. You've not grown weary. I think they loved each other. I do think that they prized each other. And notice from that Revelation passage, there's a lot of activity going on in the church. 30 years later, when this is written, the doors are open, they're busy, they're working, they're toiling. Maybe they had a lot of programs they were doing together. They had Sunday school classes. Maybe they were doing Wednesday night Bible studies. The children's department was doing well. The electric guitarist was amazing. They're doing good things. All of that seemed to be a, a top notch and, and, and apparently in all of that busyness and in all of that activity, they did prize each other. They were working together to accomplish all of these wonderful works. Nothing wrong with that, or so it seems. How to kill a church, number two. Don't protect truth. Look again at Ephesians 6 and verse 23. Paul says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of deep and wonderful theological words and concepts packed into That one little verse, notice he uses words like peace, love, faith. He mentions two members of the Trinity. Paul has taught them all these things. Remember, every time Paul went on a missionary journey, he went with one message. It was always the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would say things everywhere he went. He would say things like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he would say things to churches like Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he would go in and he would establish churches, he would say things like Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of law. And then he would follow that up with things like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then he would say something like Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and 
Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul would say all those things, and then with very bold assurance, he would tell them Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's taught them all of these things, and the Ephesians knew all these things, and they believed all these things. So when Paul writes Ephesians 6 and verse 23, and he uses words like peace and love and faith and grace, all those ring true in the minds of the Ephesians. They know that those words and those truths have brought them such grace and such mercy. They were hell-bound sinners, and now because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they have salvation. They have hope with Christ. Paul had warned them over and over again when he was with them that those truths are going to come under attack. Way back in Acts 20, when he left them for the very first time, he said this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. So be alert, Paul's saying. In, in his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote these words as he sent him to Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, Timothy, understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. And what was his solution that he gave to Timothy to carry to the church of Ephesus? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having Itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul warned them it was coming. He encouraged them with his letter to the Ephesians. Now, 30 years later in the book of Revelation, how is this church doing? with protecting the truth. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, we read this. Jesus says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. Further down in Revelation 2, the letter from Jesus to Ephesus, Jesus says, yet you have this. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How are... How is the Ephesian church doing in their task to protect the truth? Apparently very well. Apparently this church was a powerhouse for protecting the truth. Because Jesus commends them twice in his letter and says, you guys did great This church at Ephesus didn't let anything slip through that was false. They tested everything. 
Every speaker that came to their church, they tested him. Every curriculum that they brought in for their Sunday school classes, they read it and they tested it. Every book that went into their library, they tested it. Every video that they were going to show on Right Now Media, they tested it. They knew that it was solid. Everything that came in and out of this church in Ephesus was gone through with a fine-tooth comb and nothing came in that didn't align with the apostolic message of Jesus Christ. How are they doing? A-okay. But if you want to kill a church, then don't protect the truth. If you want to kill a church, then don't pay any attention to those things. And eventually... Slippery teachers who will tickle the ears of others will slide in and pretty soon the wolf in sheep's clothing will come in and devour the sheep. Satan, disguised as an angel of light, will slip in and one by one he'll start picking off the unsuspecting. Paul alluded to this in his letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 he said, For among them are those who creep into households and they capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. You want to kill a church? Then stop protecting the truth. Not a problem for the Ephesians. They nailed that one. Holding firm. So they prized others, they protected the truth. That leads to our final bullet point, how to kill a church. Don't prioritize love. Go back to Ephesians 6 and look at the very last verse. Very last verse, Paul writes to this church. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's it. That's that's the end. It's interesting to me that Paul frequently uses the word love in the book of Ephesians. He talks about a love for God, talks about a love for spouse, talks about love for fellow believers, talks about love for children. And certainly he talks about love for Christ. It is something he does not want the Ephesians to forget. Don't forget about love. And this love for Christ, he says, is supposed to be an incorruptible and eternal kind of love. And and I'm convinced that when he talks about love here at the very end of his book, He's talking about a very holistic understanding of love. This isn't just a love that looks back and says, here's what Jesus did for me on the cross, although certainly it includes that. But the kind of love that Paul has in mind has a particular zeal. It has a certain passion. It's it's a love that is used as a controlling verb 
that describes and informs the whole of a believer. I want you to think back for a second at the time when you first became a believer. For some of you, you know exactly when that was. For others of you, maybe not an exact day, but think back to when you first became a believer. I remember I was only 12 years old and and having this overwhelming desire to get into God's word and to read God's word and wanting to tell somebody what I was doing, uh, that I had changed, that I was different. There, There was this passion, there was this excitement, there was this real joy about my relationship with this Jesus. That's the kind of love that I think Paul is describing here as he's trying to encourage these Ephesian believers. Don't forget to love. Don't forget to love Jesus Christ. And I wonder, I just wonder, as he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, that he had this nagging feeling that this was going to be a problem, that something was going to happen and that they needed some kind of special encouragement. And so the very last words he writes to them is about their intensity of love when he says, love your Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. How did this church do? How did they fare with that just two or three generations later? We'll go back to Revelation 2 and verse 4. And Jesus said, But this I have against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. I don't think he's talking about the love that they had for one another. Remember, they're, they're, they're working together. They're, they're, they're cooperating together. They're, they're toiling together. They're battling off false teachers together. I am convinced the love lost is not a love that they have for each other. The love lost is the passionate love that they once had for Jesus. The love that they've lost is that evangelistic fervor that they once shared as the church expanded. The love that they've lost is that overwhelming desire that other people would know about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the love that they've lost is the love that they once shared in authentic worship and awe as they gathered together as the body of Christ. Do you see what's happening in this church? What grandma and grandpa began as a love-motivated, grace-informed, faith-infused, zeal for the Lord, and passion for the lost has become a social club. A A theologically sound Social club, to be sure. But a social club. No longer in love. Love gave way to lifelessness. Passion gave way to programs. Delight gave way to 
duty. Treasure gave way to task. Excitement gave way to existence. Obsession gave way to obligation. Tribute gave way to tradition. Charge gave way to chores. Relationship gave way to rote. Fervor gave way to functions. Commitment gave way to committees. And praise gave way to prayerlessness. This church did what Paul feared. They fell out of love with Jesus. How do you kill a church? By not prioritizing love. You can do all the right things, but without the right relationship. And I fear that the American church has become that. And sometimes I fear that Bethel could be caught in that same kind of a trap. When is the last time you felt a deep, passionate love for Jesus? When is the last time you wept over the soul of an unbeliever? When is the last time you you told your kids Sunday worship is not something we do, it's something in which we delight? When's the last time you didn't want to stop praying because you and the Lord were just having such a great time together? Here's my fear. My fear is that we add programs and we add Wednesday night classes and we add Facebook events. And we add youth outings. And we add discipleship training classes. And we add community dinners. And we add fifth Sunday socials. And we add, and we add, and we add. And our people are busy. And our building is busy. And there's all kinds of activity going on. And it's all good. And it's all theologically sound. But we don't have any more baptisms. We don't have any more conversions. We don't have any more passion for prayer. We don't have anyone coming to the Lord. And slowly but surely, that red hot ember of flame that our grandparents started the church with becomes black with death. Is there a cure? Or something like that? Is, 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 can, can that be changed or is that just the inevitable? Well, remember what Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 5 to this church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is the solution? Remember and repent. 
Remember and repent. Remember your first love. Go back there and remember the passion. Remember the first works. Remember how you so desperately wanted to be in the word and you wanted to share that word with others. Remember that. Repent for forgetting. Repent for neglecting those things. And then go back. Go back to the basics Go back to prayer. Go back to the things that are most important to your walk with Jesus. Get back into your relationship with Jesus. Go back to that zeal. Go back to that passion. That verse, if you notice, came with a warning. It says, if a church doesn't repent, remember what he said? He said, if you don't do these things, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you want to kill a church, three things that you can do. Don't prize others. Don't protect truth. And don't prioritize love. Ephesus got two out of the three, but the one that they missed cost them their very existence. Ancient Ephesus was destroyed in A.D. 263 and again in A.D. 614, this time never to be rebuilt. Do you know that a church has not existed in ancient Ephesus for over 1,400 years? Their lampstand was removed. Why? Because they lost their first love. Maybe God is calling you back this morning to your first love. Maybe you've started to grow cold. If you're honest with yourself, maybe you don't quite have that passion and that zeal that you once had. Won't you repent this morning? Won't you return to the works you did at first? Maybe our church is growing cold. Maybe maybe we have a love for one another and, and maybe we do a really good job of keeping all the bad guys out and we're, we're theologically astute. Maybe we're not in love with the Savior like we once were. If that's the case, then we are called to repent and look at all the stuff we do and say, does it even matter if we're not in love with Jesus Christ? I want you to stand with me this morning and I just want to lead us in in a time of confession, perhaps, and repentance. If that's you, as I'm praying, you can just be praying on your own. If if you are in that category where you say, "I, I, I don't even know the last time I've talked about my faith with somebody else, repent. Return to Christ. I don't even know the last time I prayed or spent time and felt that zeal. Repent and return. Our lampstand hasn't been removed yet. All right? So let's keep that first love that we had. Let's pray together. God, we certainly don't want to kill a church. We certainly don't want to kill this church. We want to prize others. We, we want to protect the truth. We certainly want to stay in love with you. 
Father, if there's anyone here this morning who says, you know, I'm doing the works, I'm, do, I'm doing the things, I'm on the committees, I, I, I'm, do, I'm doing this stuff, but I don't, I don't have the passion. Father, I pray that you would bring a real conviction in that heart. I pray that there would be repentance. There would be a turning back to the works that were done, done at first. I just pray that in our hearts you would fan into flame this zeal, this overwhelming love, this passion, this uncontainable joy and excitement that we have. That Everywhere we go, we just talk about Jesus. Everything about us just wants to proclaim Jesus and let others know about Jesus. And I just pray that as a church that made up of individuals who love you, that this church would just proclaim Jesus all, all the time and that we would see more and more people coming to know you because of our unashamed testimony for what you've done for us. Father, I pray that we would see baptisms like crazy, that we would see conversions like crazy. I pray that our prayer life would just be bolstered and encouraged even more as we see you doing your work and that we would be known as a church of its first love. Father, I pray for us. I pray that that would never change and never depart, but we need your help. We'll do our part as we dive into our relationship with you. We need your help in continuing to show us how much you love us and care so that we continue to build on the faith that we began with. Father, I love you. I thank you for this food that we're getting ready to eat, this meal that we're getting ready to share together. And I pray that over lunch today, we would talk about Jesus and we would talk about our lives together with you and that we would proclaim to others, even at our table, uh, what you mean to us. And Father, that we would be an encouragement to one another to eat together, fellowship together. But when we leave these doors, that's when the real work begins. And that's where the evangelism begins. Help us to do that today with a renewed passion. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go enjoy lunch. I'll see you back here next week.